Hello and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction. My name is Philippe Naren and I'm joined as always by Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to be talking about certain circumstances, indeed special circumstances, when it comes to opioid substitution therapy and how we approach these circumstances as sometimes they can give uh, prescribers of methadone, suboxone and their LAIBs pause for concern. So Fergal, a question I get asked a lot about is, what do you do with a patient who goes to the pharmacy, has their methadone, and then vomits it out shortly thereafter? Um, Because Mm. we would be concerned about potentially giving the patient an extra dose, and are there any things we need to think about when we're faced with this situation? Yeah. So when patients vomit up their methadone, there's a, it's a huge panic. And you get this phone call in the middle of surgery going, oh, you've got to prescribe more methadone. He's just vomited it up. The risks of, of, of over-treating the vomiting situation include basically causing an accidental overdose. And you've got to balance that out from the patient's perceived risk of developing a withdrawal from underdosing of methadone. And patients want to avoid uh, withdrawal at all costs. And, and, you know, quite rightly so. The way I look at it, and I think most people would approach this as follows, that 10 minutes is a cutoff because most methadone is absorbed in the stomach within 10 minutes. So if there has been proven vomiting under 10 minutes, you might want to consider uh, an additional dose of methadone or at least observing the patient. If there is vomiting after 10 minutes, you probably don't need to do anything at all. So vomiting within 10 minutes of dose administration, and I mean witnessed vomiting, you need to consider whether or not the patient is opioid naive or not. And how do we tell if a patient is opioid naive? Well, if they're being dosed for less than two weeks. In those situations, I would recommend observation. So you basically wait three to four hours to see if the patient's going to go and withdraw. And if that cannot be done by you, then it possibly has to be done in hospital. And that's patients don't like that because they just want to be topped up. But the real risk of of overtreating someone who's potentially vomited, who's opioid naive, is that you cause an opioid uh, toxicity. If they're more than two weeks, they're probably going to be okay with an additional 50% dose up to a maximum of 40 milligrams. And in, in those situations where, they, where they've been vomiting within 10 minutes and it's witnessed and they've been on the treatment for more than two weeks, I would probably be happy with that kind of uh, management plan. The problematic patient is the one who's witnessed vomiting, who's not yet opioid tolerant, who's been dosed for less than two weeks. What do you do with them? What would you recommend, Philippe? So for the patient who's opioid naive, so been in the program less than two weeks and it's a time period of less than 10 minutes, I would observe the patient. I'd probably try and observe them for three to six hours and ideally if they could either come back to the clinic for to be assessed or stay around the pharmacy for the pharmacist to assess them, that would be great. And then you could consider maybe a top-up of up to 50% if the patient is showing signs of um, opioid withdrawal or, or, or showing demonstrable signs of opioid withdrawal. So that would be my, my approach to, to the patient who vomits in that time period. And I think that would probably mirror your approach as well, Fergal. Yeah. The difficulty lies whenever the, you get this phone call at like 10 to 6 on a, or 10 to 5 on a Friday evening and there aren't 
facilities to observe? And what would you do then? In a situation where I'm not certain about what's going on, one has to go back to the element of of safety. And there's very real harm of dosing the patient with an extra dose of methadone and then causing respiratory depression for someone who is opioid naive. So in a situation where I can't vouch that the patient has vomited and that I'm concerned that I will cause extra harm by giving extra opioid, I would possibly either A, refrain from prescribing opioids, or B, can I refer this patient somewhere like like a local hospital emergency department for someone else to review the patient and prescribe appropriately on my behalf? Or is there a deputising service that is potentially able to do so? But the main thing would be to make sure that the patient is safe and I'm prescribing appropriately in, in, in that circumstance. That's absolutely the case. You know, the, the temptation is to cave into pressure from patients and or carers. But really, you cannot, because of safety reasons, give more methadone in that situation if someone is vomited under 10 minutes with an uncertain tolerance to methadone because you could potentially kill that patient. So really, as hard as it is, you, you, you have to get used to the idea of saying no on safety grounds. Absolutely. And I guess following on from this topic is another clinical scenario as to what do you do with the patient who appears intoxicated? What would your concerns be and how would you approach a patient where, say, the reception staff or the pharmacy contact you and say, uh, patient X has presented and appears intoxicated? Yeah. It's always tempting to fall back to criticism and to stigma you know oh they you know they're drug addicts they've just taken an overdose but before you rush to that judgment or that diagnosis you have to make sure that there is no intercurrent illness going on so a patient that appears intoxicated the first thing that you do is you have to make sure that there is no other cause for an apparent delirium You need to realize things like a head injury, hepatic encephalopathy, stroke, liver failure, unstable diabetes. Now, these are all comorbidities that are not uncommon in in this patient cohort. And it, it really would look terrible if you treated someone with an, with an acute medical emergency as being merely intoxicated with having had too much methadone or too much buprenorphine or, in fact, having had too much heroin using on top. In the case where you are happy that there's no other acute medical emergency and there is evidence of recent heroin use and you think it's just um, use on top, you know, that's a huge issue of how do you manage use on top? What do you do in that situation, Philippe? Again, one is governed by safety and one needs to make sure that one is prescribing appropriately in a situation like this. By and of itself, use on top with heroin is not a reason necessarily to, say, discontinue a patient from opioid substitution therapy, but it is a reason to reassess and reevaluate the patient and determine what is the safest course of action. If a patient comes to me and they appear significantly sedated and I am clinically concerned as to what 
the dose of methadone could potentially do to the patient, then as mm. part of good clinical practice, I would. it is not safe nor is it reasonable to give someone who is already significantly sedated and intoxicated another medication that is sedating. But it is, again, not an excuse or a reason to refuse to see the patient or discontinue treatment. We know that keeping people on opioid substitution therapy is life-saving, and it does facilitate increased engagement with the health services. So what I would do is, if someone is taking heroin uh, on top or using heroin in conjunction with methadone, talk to the patient about what is going on. Is the dose appropriate? And Potentially, what I might do is if the patient is on a significant number of takeaways, I may potentially, for safety reason, decrease some of the takeaways, but conversely, increase the dose to ensure that the patient is receiving an appropriate dose of methadone and less likely to use on top. So that would be roughly one of the strategies that I would utilize to make sure that I'm making things safer for the patient. And I think this has mirrored some of the steps you've mentioned in previous episodes of Cracking Addiction, Fergal. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, it's, you cannot administer a potentially sedating medication to someone who's already sedated because of a drug overdose. Um, so again, here's another situation where you do have to learn to say no um, for safety reasons. The issue is somewhat trickier with LAIB because, as we know, with, with long-acting injectable buprenorphine, that the time-to-peak effect's delayed, so it's not unusual for people to still be administered LAIB even though they present intoxicated. What would you say to that? That is true, uh, and practically uh, we do talk to our patients again, but again, just appearing intoxicated is not a reason to deny someone an LAIB injection. We know that that is a safe intervention for patients and potentially delaying the injection, A, potentially makes the patient not attend for that repeat appointment. And because of that delayed effect, yeah. once they are actually coming down off the substance they're uh, intoxicated upon, they do not have the opioid substitution therapy within their system to adequately protect them. So... Practically, yeah. I, I still usually give the LAIB injection, uh, even if there is presence yeah. of intoxication, to be honest. So that's really the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? So for short-acting opioid replacement therapy like sublingual buprenorphine or methadone, you, you withhold. But for LAIB, you continue giving it, all the while being mindful of the potential range of dangerous differential diagnoses for that intoxicated presentation. Absolutely. And this brings me to another area where we're talking about overdoses and particularly overdoses on methadone. What's your approach, mm. Fergal, when a patient has accidentally, um, let's assume it's accidentally, accidentally taken an extra dose of methadone um, in, in, in a situation where they have access to takeaways, which is usually the scenario where the patient will accidentally take um, an extra dose, mm. noting that deliberate overdose is an absolute contraindication for takeaway doses of methadone. Yeah. Yeah, overdoses are very common, and you've alluded to one reason for, for an overdose, which is accidental ingestion by the patient. Another common reason for overdoses is accidental dosing by the pharmacist. And because in Australia, methadone is, is provided or dispensed in a five milligram per mil liquid, sometimes when the prescription is not clear, doctors will prescribe in milligrams or in mils, 
And if the, if the pharmacist confuses that, instead of giving, uh, say, 40 milligrams, gives 40 mils, then that's a five times overdose of methadone that is being dispensed. And I personally feel that's a reason why we shouldn't actually be giving five milligram per mil concentrated methadone. I think we should be only using one milligram per mil methadone. But anyway, that's a different story. So there, there is the potential for pharmacist or iatrogenic overdose on a range of five to one as well. But there are some basic principles. If you can guarantee tolerance to opioids, uh, to methadone-based opioid substitution therapy, you can probably get away with up to a two times overdose, but everything else has to be observed in hospital. Now, there are a number of issues that we need to talk about. So guaranteeing uh, uh, tolerance to methadone-based opioid replacement therapy means that they've got daily pickup for more than two weeks and they're on more, more than 40 milligrams of methadone. If they don't meet those criteria, then you cannot guarantee that they're tolerant. The second issue is, well, how long do you need to observe them in hospital? Well, we know that the time to peak effect is for methadone ranges from about two and a half to four hours. So you really, you're looking at at least an observation period of four to six hours. And if they're okay beyond that point, they're probably okay. But you really do need to get people into hospital quickly if they've had more than a double overdose, if they are, if they, if they, even if they are tolerant. The situation becomes trickier if you are not proven to be tolerant to methadone-based opioid substitution therapy. What would you do in that situation, Philippe? If you're not tolerant and we've given you a long-acting opioid that has a, a long half-life, you're at significant risk of uh, overdose and you probably need to go to ED and be monitored for that time period that you've mentioned, yeah. Fergal. So yeah. if, if there's, yeah. if by definition you haven't been on uh, opioid substitution therapy for, for two weeks um, and haven't been on a stable dose and have not developed tolerance, you, you must go to ED and be assessed and be reviewed. And, and also you haven't had daily pickup. That's it. A lot of people yes. get caught out by that because tolerance for methadone and OST has just dependent on daily pickup, 40 milligrams at least two weeks. If you don't yes. meet all three of those criteria, you cannot guarantee tolerance. So a lot of people are on relaxed pickups from 80 milligrams or more, um, and they've been on for for years. I mean, they, as far as I'm concerned, if they have if they've got an, 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 an overdose, they still go to VD. Mm-hmm. Now, with Suboxone. Does your approach change somewhat, given that it has less risk of respiratory depression than methadone? Yeah, it, well, I mean, it, it does. So we know that uh, buprenorphine is a partial agonist. And we also know that we can deliberately overdose patients with buprenorphine with no ill effects. And that's called double or triple dosing. Uh, so we can double or triple dose up to a maximum daily dose of 32 milligrams. There are a couple of indications for me to actually um, send someone to ED if, if they've had an overdose of Suboxone. One, the absolute reasons would be if they've had more than 64 milligrams of Suboxone in a day, if they appear sedated, or if they're not, if they're treatment naive. And that, again, speaks to um, being on treatment for less than two weeks. Um, and the, the period of observation, again, can, can be can be talked about. The, the, the time to peak effect for buprenorphine you know, it's, it can uh, peak at one hour, but it still can take up to four hours for the peak dose effect to occur. So again, I would recommend um, a four to six hour period of observation in, in hospital. What would you agree, say to that? Uh, I would agree with 
everything you've said with regards to Suboxone. It, it is a partial agonist, but we do have to monitor for sedation and we do still have to monitor for overdose. So, yes, I agree with all yeah. the recommendations you, you, you stated, Fergal. Yeah. Now, a question we, we sometimes get asked as well is, how do you transition between Suboxone and Methadone and vice versa? Do you have any tips or tricks? And we'll start off with the easier transition, Suboxone to Methadone. What's your approach to transferring between the two? So the easier approach, as you say, is Suboxone to Methadone. So basically, I would just stop Suboxone on, on one day and then the next day start opioid uh, agonist therapy with methadone the next. Um, the issue is always the starting dose. So what would you say to that? What's your opinion on the starting dose of, of methadone after a suboxone transfer? I would usually start at 30 milligrams, to be honest with you, uh, the, the standard starting dose for methadone. Yeah. And then I would titrate up cautiously because we are dealing with different agents. Uh, and as per guidelines, the starting dose is, is usually 30 milligrams. So that's my approach. Does that mirror yeah. what you would do? Yeah, the, I mean, there is this temptation to say there's cross-tolerance between these opioids and therefore people, people uh, coming from high-dose suboxone, they also always say, oh, I need more than 30 to start. I want to start on 40 or even 50 and you've got to get me up quickly, doctor. I think, the, the, you know, the higher the starting dose and the more rapid the acceleration, the more likelihood that you're going to have an overdose and potentially death on your hands. I personally don't, I'm very uncomfortable starting on higher than 30, irrespective of the dose of the preceding opioid. And that includes the, uh, the dose of Suboxone that they're on. Now, the more complicated transfer, methadone to Suboxone, how do you organize this transfer given, given the risk of precipitated withdrawal? So firstly, you know, we need to understand why is there a risk? And, you know, as you mentioned, it is precipitated withdrawal. So we're, we're converting from a full agonist to a partial agonist, and we're converting from an opioid with moderate avidity to an opioid with high avidity. So effectively, the suboxone will displace any residual methadone from a mu opioid receptor. And because it is a, only a partial agonist, it will then send that receptor into withdrawal. And that's a very unpleasant experience, which will risk the patients uh, falling out of therapy and relapsing onto heroin use. So you want to try and avoid that at all costs. The traditional way of managing the risk of precipitated withdrawal when transferring from any full mu agonist to suboxone or buprenorphine-based therapy was basically to wait. It was basically uh, expectant neglect. You just watch these patients, you put them into a ward, and you just watch them and you wait until they go into withdrawal. And then you gradually start Suboxone. And the idea was that the patient's own withdrawal was far less unpleasant than the precipitated withdrawal. Um, and so if you were going to do it with a classical method, then you would literally admit someone uh, into a ward and wait until they come off methadone, wait and they go, until they go into withdrawal from methadone and then start the normal Suboxone titration. There are a couple of problems with that, Philippe. Would you care to elucidate what those problems are? So I guess the, the biggest problems with waiting for someone to, to go into withdrawal and, and, and forcing them to go through that process is, A, as you mentioned, it's quite unpleasant. B, it increases the temptation to resort to the previous opioid medications or opioids that they were using. And C, it 
kind of increases to people dropping out of treatment and then going back to heroin uh, use or other opioid use. So it's a fraught period. We're dealing with patients who are very desperate not to go into withdrawal and we are putting them into the situation they are desperate to avoid. And then uh, all of us, when we're stressed, go back to comfort mechanisms that have suited us well. And for a lot of our patients, that's heroin and other opioids. So it's a, a period where people are highly likely to, to revert to previous substance use. So it is, it is a problem time period. Yeah. And of course, you know, we're talking about methadone and that time to withdrawal because it's such a long acting drug is longer than the time to withdrawal that you would associate with a short acting drug like heroin. It can take 24, 36, 48, even 72 hours for people to actually hit withdrawal. Um, so you're potentially, you're looking at a potential prolonged admission all the while you've got this patient at relapse, at risk of relapse, self-discharge and uh, reverting back to heroin use. So it's very fraught. Um, I personally don't recommend that uh, the transition from methadone to suboxone be done in the community unless patients can, can get, get down to a dose of about 30 milligrams of methadone. I think anything higher you have to really be in hospital for. But you know, the problems associated with this transfer have led to various new novel techniques to mitigate the, the discomfort during the transition. Would you care to mention what these are, Philippe? So there are techniques um, utilizing microdosing of buprenorphine, and we've touched on this on some of the previous episodes of Cracking Addiction, and we've talked about the Bernese method which is yeah. where we give small doses yeah. of buprenorphine uh, to patients while they're concurrently taking methadone. And that is to try and avoid a larger uh, precipitated withdrawal when you put a, a higher dose of buprenorphine in, into the patient's system. Yeah. And there's many, many, many different ways of doing these microdosing regimens, whether it be by sublingual tablets or patches, but the underlying principle is you you start with very very low doses of buprenorphine and you slowly increase the dose upwards until you hit a decent dose of buprenorphine usually around between 8 to 12 milligrams of suboxone and then we discontinue methadone and continue on suboxone thereafter everyone does it in a slightly different manner but this is geared towards minimizing withdrawal symptoms in the patient making sure that we can transition them safely and trying to make sure that the patient is covered during this difficult and, and fraught time. Yeah, yeah. Microdosing is the new way of transferring patients from methadone to, to buprenorphine of whatever drug, of, of whatever formulation. Absolutely. And in the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we've covered a lot of the special circumstances related to opioid substitution therapy. And it's been quite a long episode where we've discussed the uh, management of vomiting, the uh, management of intoxicated patients, and how to transition between the two forms of opioid substitution therapy, methadone and suboxone commonly. And we still have quite a few different aspects in the special circumstances related to opioid substitution therapy to cover which we will cover in in our next episode so thanks very much for your attention uh, for this long episode and please join us in the next episode of cracking addiction bye for now